This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ragged Dick, or Street Life in New York with the Bootblacks, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 19 Fosdick Changes His Business Fosdick did not venture to wear his new clothes while engaged in his business. This, he felt, would have been wasteful extravagance. About ten o'clock in the morning, when business slackened, he went home, and dressing himself went to a hotel where he could see copies of the Morning Herald and Sun, and noting down the places where a boy was wanted, went on a round of applications. But he found it no easy thing to obtain a place. Swarms of boys seemed to be out of employment, and it was not unusual to find from fifty to a hundred applicants for a single place. There was another difficulty. It was generally desired that the boy wanted should reside with his parents. When Fosdick, on being questioned, revealed the fact of his having no parents and being a boy of the street, this was generally sufficient of itself to ensure a refusal. Merchants were afraid to trust one who had led such a vagabond life. Dick, who was always ready for an emergency, suggested borrowing a white wig and passing himself off for Fosdick's father or grandfather. But Henry thought this might be rather a difficult character for our hero to sustain. After fifty applications, and as many failures, Fosdick began to get discouraged. There seemed to be no way out of his present business, for which he felt unfitted. "'I don't know, but I shall have to black boots all my life,' he said one day, despondently, to Dick. "'Keep a stiff upper lip,' said Dick. "'By the time you get to be a grey-haired veteran, you may get a chance to run errands for some big firm on the Bowery.' which is a very cheering reflection. So Dick, by his drollery and perpetual good spirits, kept up Fosdick's courage. "'As for me,' said Dick, "'I expect by that time to lay up a colossal fortune out of shines and live in princely style on the avenue.' But one morning Fosdick, straying into French's hotel, discovered the following advertisement in the columns of the Herald. "'Wanted. A smart, capable boy to run errands and make himself generally useful into hat and cape store.' Salary three dollars a week at first. Inquire at number blank Broadway after ten o'clock a.m. He determined to make application, and as the city hall clock just then struck the hour indicated, lost no time in proceeding to the store, which was only a few blocks distance from the Astor House. It was easy to find the store, as from a dozen to twenty boys were already assembled in front of it. They surveyed each other askance, feeling that they were rivals, and mentally calculating each other's chances. "'There isn't much chance for me,' said Fosdick to Dick, who had accompanied him. "'Look at all these boys. Most of them have good homes, I suppose, and good recommendations. Well, I have nobody to refer to.' "'Go ahead,' said Dick. "'Your chance is as good as anybody's.' While this was passing between Dick and his companion, one of the boys, a rather supercilious-looking young gentleman, genteelly dressed, and evidently having a very high opinion of his dress and himself, turned suddenly to Dick and remarked, "'I've seen you before.' "'Oh, have you?' said Dick, whirling round. "'Then perhaps you'd like to see me behind.' At this unexpected answer, all the boys burst into a laugh, with the exception of the questioner, who, evidently, considered that Dick had been disrespectful. "'I've seen you somewhere,' he said in a surly tone, correcting himself. "'Most likely you have,' said Dick. "'That's where I generally keep myself.' 
There was another laugh at the expense of Roswell Crawford, for that was the name of the young aristocrat. But he had his revenge ready. No boy relishes being an object of ridicule, and it was with a feeling of satisfaction that he retorted, I know you for all your impudence. You're nothing but a boot black. This information took the boys who were standing around by surprise, for Dick was well dressed and had none of the implements of his profession with him. Suppose I be, said Dick. Have you got any objection? Not at all, said Roswell, curling his lip. Only you'd better stick to blacking boots and try not to get into a store. Thank you for your kind advice, said Dick. Is it gratuitous, or do you expect to be paid for it? You're an impudent fellow. That's a very cheering reflection, said Dick good naturedly. Do you expect to get this place when there's gentlemen's sons applying for it? A boot black in a store. That would be a good joke. Boys as well as men are selfish, and looking upon Dick as a possible rival, the boys who listened seemed disposed to take the same view of the situation. That's what I say, said one of them, taking sides with Roswell. Don't trouble yourselves, said Dick. I ain't a going to cut you out. I can't afford to give up an independent and lucrative profession for a salary of three dollars a week. Hear him talk, said Roswell Crawford, with an unpleasant sneer. If you're not trying to get the place, what are you here for? I came with a friend of mine, said Dick, indicating Fosdick, who's going in for the situation. Is he a bootblack too? demanded Roswell superciliously. Ha! retorted Dick loftily. Didn't you know his father was a member of Congress and intimately acquainted with all the biggest men in the state? The boys surveyed Fosdick as if they did not quite know whether to credit this statement, which, for the credit of Dick's veracity, it will be observed he did not assert, but only propounded in the form of a question. There was no time for comment, however, as just then the proprietor of the store came to the door, and casting his eyes over the waiting group, singled out Roswell Crawford and asked him to enter. Well, my lad, how old are you? Fourteen years old, said Roswell, consequentially. Are your parents living? Only my mother. My father is dead. He was a gentleman, he added complacently. Oh, was he? said the shopkeeper. Do you live in the city? Yes, sir, in Clinton Place. Have you ever been in a situation before? Y yes, sir, said Roswell, a little reluctantly. Where was it? In an office on Day Street. How long were you there? A week. It seems to me that was a short time. Why did you not stay longer? Because, said Roswell loftily, the man wanted me to get to the office at eight o'clock and make the fire. I'm a gentleman's son, and not used to such dirty work. Indeed, said the shopkeeper. Well, young gentleman, you may step aside a few minutes. I will speak with some of the other boys before making my selection. Several other boys were called in and questioned. Roswell stood by and listened with an air of complacency. He could not help thinking his chances the best. The man can see I'm a gentleman, and will do credit to his store, he thought. At length it came to Fosdick's turn. He entered with no very sanguine anticipations of success. Unlike Roswell, he set a very low estimate upon his qualifications when compared with those of other applicants. But his modest bearing and quiet gentlemanly manner, entirely free from pretension, prepossessed the shopkeeper, 
who was a sensible man in his favor. "'Do you reside in the city?' he asked. "'Yes, sir,' said Henry. "'What is your age?' Twelve. "'Have you ever been in any situation?' "'No, sir.' "'I should like to see a specimen of your handwriting. Here, take the pen and write your name.' Henry Fosdick had a very handsome handwriting for a boy of his age, while Roswell, who had submitted to the same test, could do little more than scrawl. "'Do you live with your parents?' "'No, sir. They are dead.' "'Where do you live, then?' "'In Mott Street.' Roswell curled his slip when the name was pronounced, for Mott Street, as my New York readers know, is in the immediate neighborhood of the Five Points, and very far from a fashionable locality. "'Have you any testimonials to present?' asked Mr. Henderson, for that was his name. Fosdick hesitated. This was the question which he had foreseen would give him trouble. But at this moment it happened most opportunely that Mr. Grayson entered the shop with the intention of buying a hat. "'Yes,' said Fosdick promptly. "'I will refer to this gentleman.' "'How do you do, Fosdick?' asked Mr. Grayson, noticing him for the first time. "'How do you happen to be here?' "'I am applying for a place, sir,' said Fosdick. "'May I refer the gentleman to you?' "'Certainly. I shall be glad to speak a good word of you. "'Mr. Henderson, this is a member of my Sunday school class, "'of whose good qualities and good abilities I can speak confidently.' "'That will be sufficient,' said the shopkeeper, who knew Mr. Grayson's high character and position. "'He could have no better recommendation. You may come to the store to-morrow morning at half-past seven o'clock. The pay will be three dollars a week for the first six months. If I am satisfied with you, I shall then raise it to five dollars.' The other boys looked disappointed, but none more so than Roswell Crawford. He would have cared less if anyone else had obtained the situation— but for a boy who lived in Mott Street to be preferred to him, a gentleman's son, he considered indeed humiliating. In a spirit of petty spite he was tempted to say, "'He's a boot-black. Ask him if he isn't.' "'He's an honest and intelligent lad,' said Mr. Grayson. "'As for you, young man, I only hope you have one half his good qualities.' Roswell Crawford left the store in disgust, and the other unsuccessful applicants with him. "'What luck, Fosdick?' asked Dick eagerly, as his friend came out of the store. "'I've got the place,' said Fosdick, in accents of satisfaction. "'But it was only because Mr. Grayson spoke up for me.' "'He's a trump,' said Dick enthusiastically. The gentleman so denominated came out before the boys went away, and spoke with them kindly. Both Dick and Henry were highly pleased at the success of the application. The pay would indeed be small— but, expended economically, Fosdick thought he could get along on it, receiving his room-rent, as before, in return for his services as Dick's private tutor. Dick determined, as soon as his education would permit, to follow his companion's example. "'I don't know as you'll be willing to room with a boot-black,' he said to Henry. "'Now you're going into business.' "'I couldn't room with a better friend, Dick,' said Fosdick affectionately, throwing his arm around our hero. "'When we part—' It'll be because you wish it. So Fosdick entered upon a new career. End of chapter 19 Chapter 20 Nine Months Later The next morning Fosdick rose early, put on his new suit, and after getting breakfast set out for the Broadway store in which he had obtained a position. He left his little blacking box in the room. "'It'll do to brush my own shoes,' he said. "'Who knows, but I may have to come back to it again.' 
"'No danger,' said Dick. "'I'll take care of the feet, and you'll have to look after the heads, now you're in a hat-store.' "'I wish you had a place, too,' said Fosdick. "'I don't know enough yet,' said Dick. "'Wait till I've graduated, and can put A.B. after your name.' "'What's that?' "'It stands for Bachelor of Arts. It's a degree that students get when they graduate from college.' said Dick. I didn't know, but it meant a boot-black. I can put that after my name now. Wouldn't Dick Hunter A.B. sound tip-top? I must be going, said Fosdick. It won't do for me to be late the very first morning. That's the difference between you and me, said Dick. I'm my own boss, and there ain't no one to find fault with me if I'm late. But I might as well be going, too. The Zagentis come downs to his store pretty early, that generally wants a shine." The two boys parted at the park. Fosdick crossed it and proceeded to the hat-store, while Dick, hitching up his pants, began to look about him for a customer. It was seldom that Dick had to wait long. He was always on the alert, and if there was any business to do, he was always sure to get his share of it. He had now a stronger inducement than ever to attend strictly to business, his little stock of money in the savings-bank having been nearly exhausted by his liberality to his roommate. He was determined to be as economical as possible, and moreover to study as hard as he could, that he might be able to follow Fosdick's example, and obtain a place in a store or counting-room. As there were no striking incidents occurring in our hero's history within the next nine months, I propose to pass over that period, and recount the progress he made in that time. Fosdick was still at the hat-store, having succeeded in giving perfect satisfaction to Mr. Henderson. His wages had just been raised to five dollars a week. He and Dick still kept house together at Mrs. Mooney's lodging-house, and lived very frugally, so that both were able to save up money. Dick had been unusually successful in business. He had several regular patrons, who had been drawn to him by his ready wit and quick humor, and from two of them he had received presents of clothing, which had saved him any expense on that score. His income had averaged quite seven dollars a week in addition to this. Of this amount he was now obliged to pay one dollar weekly for the room which he and Fosdick occupied, but he was still able to save one-half the remainder. At the end of nine months, therefore, or thirty-nine weeks, it will be seen that he had accumulated no less a sum than one hundred and seventeen dollars. Dick may be excused for feeling like a capitalist when he looked at the long row of deposits in his little bank-book. There were other boys in the same business who had earned as much money, but they had had little care for the future, and spent as they went along, so that few could boast a bank account, however small. "'You'll be a rich man some time, Dick,' said Henry Fosdick one evening. "'And live on Fifth Avenue,' said Dick. "'Perhaps so. Stranger things have happened.' "'Well,' said Dick, "'if such a misfortune should come upon me, I should bear it like a man. When you see a Fifth Avenue mansion for sale for a hundred and seventeen dollars, just let me know, and I'll buy it as an investment.' Two hundred and fifty years ago you might have bought one for that price, probably. Real estate wasn't very high among the Indians. "'Just my luck,' said Dick. "'I was born too late. I'd order have been an Indian, and lived in splendor on my present capital.' "'I'm afraid you'd have found your present business rather unprofitable at that time.' But Dick had gained something more valuable than money. He had studied regularly every evening, and his improvement had been marvelous. He could now read well write a fair hand, and had studied arithmetic as far as interest. Besides this, he had obtained some knowledge of grammar and geography. If some of my boy-readers, 
who have been studying for years and got no farther than this, should think it incredible that Dick, in less than a year, and studying evenings only, should have accomplished it, they must remember that our hero was very much in earnest in his desire to improve. He knew that, in order to grow up respectable, he must be well advanced, and he was willing to work. But then the reader must not forget that Dick was naturally a smart boy. His street education had sharpened his faculties, and taught him to rely upon himself. He knew that it would take him a long time to reach the goal which he had set before him, and he had patience to keep on trying. He knew that he had only himself to depend upon, and he determined to make the most of himself, a resolution which is the secret of success in nine cases out of ten. "'Dick,' said Fosdick one evening, after they had completed their studies, "'I think you'll have to get another teacher soon.' "'Why?' asked Dick, in some surprise. "'Have you been offered a more lucrative position?' "'No,' said Fosdick. "'But I find I have taught you all I know myself.' "'You are now as good a scholar as I am.' "'Is that true?' said Dick, eagerly, a flush of gratification coloring his brown cheek. "'Yes,' said Fosdick. "'You've made wonderful progress. I propose, now that evening schools have begun, that we join one and study together through the winter.' "'All right,' said Dick. "'I'd be willing to go now, but when I first began to study I was ashamed to have anybody know that I was so ignorant.' "'Do you really mean, Fosdick, that I know as much as you?' "'Yes, Dick, it's true.' "'Then I've got you to thank for it,' said Dick earnestly. "'You've made me what I am.' "'And haven't you paid me, Dick?' "'By paying the room rent,' said Dick impulsively. "'What's that? It isn't half enough. "'I wish you'd take half my money. You deserve it.' "'Thank you, Dick, but you're too generous. "'You've more than paid me.' "'Who was it took my part when all the other boys imposed upon me? "'And who gave me money to buy clothes, and so got me my situation?' "'Oh, that's nothing,' said Dick. "'It's a great deal, Dick. I shall never forget it. "'But now it seems to me you might try to get a situation yourself.' "'Do I know enough?' "'You know as much as I do.' "'Then I'll try,' said Dick decidedly. "'I wish there was a place in our store,' said Dick. "'It would be pleasant for us to be together.' "'Never mind,' said Dick. "'There will be plenty of other chances. "'Perhaps A.T. Stewart might like a partner. "'I wouldn't ask more than a quarter of the profits.' "'Which would be a very liberal proposal on your part,' said Fosdick, smiling. "'But perhaps Mr. Stewart might object to a partner living on Mott Street.' "'I'd just as lives move to Fifth Avenue,' said Dick. "'I ain't got no prejudices in favor of Mott Street.' "'Nor I.' said Fosdick, and in fact I have been thinking it might be a good plan for us to move as soon as we could afford. Mrs. Mooney doesn't keep the room quite so neat as she might. No, said Dick, she ain't got no prejudices against dirt. Look at that towel. Dick held up the article indicated, which had now seen service nearly a week, and hard service at that, Dick's avocation causing him to be rather hard on towels. Yes, said Fosdick, I've got about tired of it. I guess we can find some better place without having to pay much more. When we move, you must let me pay my share of the rent. We'll see about that, said Dick. Do you propose to move to Fifth Avenue? Not just at present, but to some more agreeable neighborhood than this. We'll wait till you get a situation, and then we can decide. A few days later, as Dick was looking about for customers in the neighborhood of the park, his attention was drawn to a fellow bootblack, a boy about a year younger than himself, 
who appeared to have been crying. "'What's the matter, Tom?' asked Dick. "'Haven't you had luck to-day?' "'Pretty good,' said the boy. "'But we're having hard times at home. "'Mother fell last week and broke her arm. "'And tomorrow we've got to pay the rent. "'And if we don't, the landlord says he'll turn us out.' "'Haven't you got anything except what you earn?' asked Dick. "'No,' said Tom. "'Not now. "'Mother used to earn three or four dollars a week, "'but she can't do nothing now, "'and my little sister and brother are too young.' Dick had quick sympathies. He had been so poor himself, and obliged to submit to so many privations, that he knew from personal experience how hard it was. Tom Wilkins he knew as an excellent boy, who never squandered his money, but faithfully carried it home to his mother. In the days of his own extravagance and shiftlessness, he had once or twice asked Tom to accompany him to the old bowery, or Tony Pastor's, but Tom had always steadily refused. "'I'm sorry for you, Tom,' he said. "'How much do you owe for the rent?' Two weeks now,' said Tom. "'How much is it a week?' Two dollars a week. That makes four. "'Have you got anything towards it?' "'No. I've had to spend all my money for food for Mother and the rest of us. I've had pretty hard work to do that. I don't know what we'll do. I haven't any place to go, and I'm afraid Mother will get cold in her arm.' "'Can't you borrow the money somewhere?' asked Dick. Tom shook his head despondingly. "'All the people I know are as poor as I am,' said he. "'They'd help me if they could, but it's hard work for them to get along themselves.' "'I'll tell you what, Tom,' said Dick impulsively. "'I'll stand your friend.' "'Have you got any money?' asked Tom doubtfully. "'Got any money?' repeated Dick. "'Don't you know that I run a bank on my own account? "'How much is it you need?' Four dollars,' said Tom. "'If we don't pay that before tomorrow night, out we go.' "'You haven't got as much as that, have you?' "'Here are three dollars,' said Dick, drawing out his pocket-book. "'I'll let you have the rest tomorrow, and maybe a little more.' "'You're a right good fellow, Dick,' said Tom. "'But won't you want it yourself?' "'Oh, I've got some more,' said Dick. "'Maybe I'll never be able to pay you.' "'Suppose you don't,' said Dick. "'I guess I won't fail.' "'I won't forget it, Dick. "'I hope I'll be able to do something for you sometime.' "'All right,' said Dick. "'I'd ought to help you. "'I haven't got no mother to look out for. "'I wish I had.' "'There was a tinge of sadness in his tone "'as he pronounced the last four words. "'But Dick's temperament was sanguine, "'and he never gave way to unavailing sadness. "'Accordingly he began to whistle as he turned away, "'only adding, "'I'll see you tomorrow, Tom.' "'The three dollars which Dick had handed to Tom Wilkins "'were his savings for the present week. "'It was now Thursday afternoon.' His rent, which amounted to a dollar, he expected to save out of the earnings of Friday and Saturday. In order to give Tom the additional assistance he had promised, Dick would be obliged to have recourse to his bank savings. He would not have ventured to trench upon it for any other reason but this. But he felt that it would be selfish to allow Tom and his mother to suffer, when he had it in his power to relieve them. But Dick was destined to be surprised, and that in a disagreeable manner, when he reached home. End of chapter 20